Ahoy! It's your boy! And today is Sunday, February 25th. At least it is here in Taipei, Taiwan, where I'm recording this from. Wow, we got in almost a week ago. I got here Monday night of last week. And uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, I admit, I feel like today, as I yawn at you, which is nothing new, um, I'm uh, on sensory overload, for sure. Um, I feel like I've been here for quite a long time, and yet it's only the first week of many weeks, which means that uh, if what we've experienced so far is any indicator of what's to come, this is going to be a very exciting time. Uh, I left Sunday uh, from San Francisco, uh, took the 12-hour flight to Taipei. Thankfully, it was without. It was a, a nonstop flight, and the flight was halfway decent. Uh, I sat next to a very nice Filipino couple who were on their way to the Philippines, and uh, the only hiccup was to my right. There was this family that had a baby who didn't cry the entire 12 hours, but cried consistently throughout the flight. Every couple hours, they would uh, cry for about an hour, and it was a bit of a challenge. But and when I got off the flight, I was sort of thinking to myself, I saw this meme online. And um, <laughs> I don't like to say that I often get my wisdom from memes, but this one kind of stuck with me or resonated with me for a reason. And it said that, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember what, what it said exactly, but it said something like, you can look at uh, the challenges of life as obstacles, or you could treat them as part of the dance. And so it was interesting that that came to me. I was on the flight and I was thinking, well, you could sort of sit here resentful for the next 12 hours, or you could just sort of say, hey, this is part of the process. And uh, yeah, so, and it's been actually a very useful thing to sort of think about uh, throughout the last couple of weeks, because, um, you know, there's some challenges being a foreigner in a new place. Um, although I have a little bit of Mandarin, which has led to some pretty cool opportunities that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. There's also been some challenges, but even those have been colorful and interesting. So I think I'll just, I admit it feels very weird to be doing this in my current environment. I'm in my new apartment that I'll be staying at for the next three and a half months. I'm just pacing around. But I admit I feel a little more self-conscious because although the apartment is nice, it's clean, uh, it's in a very cool part of town. It's right next to um, the MRT, which is you know, the sort of subway slash railway slash train system that runs throughout Taipei is very convenient. We're right next to a stop. The apartment building is a little bit loud, meaning I got laundry right outside my room, which people tend to use later than they should be. And you can hear people kind of going up and down the hallway. I hear a little bit of activity in other apartments. And I just hear a, heard a dog barking somewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, that's not insurmountable for most people, but I'm very noise sensitive. So not only does the noise bother me, it also makes me feel self-conscious about the noise that I'm making. So even though I'm pacing around as I'm doing this, I can literally, when I check in with myself, I realize that I'm actually walking on the balls of my toe or the not my heels, but the my heels are off the ground so that I'm not sort of stomping and bothering the people below me. That's just sort of my default. So even as I'm talking, I'm trying to be a little bit conscious of my volume. Um, however, 
Yes, it's been a very colorful week. I got in the first night. The woman who I'm running this apartment from, just by sheer coincidence, is running an apartment to my friend Gabe. And I met Gabe a couple years ago when I was at Middlebury, which is the language school in Vermont that I went to for two months. And it's this sort of immersive Mandarin learning environment. And Gabe and I had stayed in touch since then. And uh, he has a Fulbright research grant or something like that which brought him to Taiwan. And uh, so we've been staying in touch. And just by sheer coincidence, the woman I'm running an apartment from happens to be renting an apartment to him in a different part of town. So she's the sweetest woman. She showed up, let me in, kind of showed me around the apartment, showed me the, you know, the do's and don'ts of the place and all that sort of stuff. And uh, was just very, very endearing. And, uh, Unpacked right away. I just didn't want to leave anything. I figured if I leave anything, if I left anything out, it would take me a while to get settled in. So I just unpacked right away and uh, spent the first night here. Actually, the first few nights here without any sheets. I had these really crappy pillows that sort of came with the apartment, and the bed had a. It's not quite a comforter. It's I don't know. I don't even know if duvet is the right word, but it had, um, you know, a, a kind of top covering. So it's not like I was just. Uh, exposed to the elements, but it had no proper, no fitted sheet, no nothing. And uh, told myself the next few days that I would pick those up and, and didn't. I finally ended up going to Ikea or whatever. But uh, then the next day I had to register for classes. So every, pretty much every university here in Taipei has a Mandarin school of some kind, a Chinese school of some kind. It's just a major source of revenue, right? Foreigners want to come and it's not even just Americans. It's uh, you know people from all over the world who just want to study Chinese. They can come to Taiwan, and uh, and study. And so uh, I'm studying it. It's called the Mandarin Training Center at National Taiwan Normal University or Shifan Dashui, um, which is a pretty good school here in Taipei. I think their uh, Mandarin Training Center is is pretty uh, pretty famous. I tend to find that most of these programs are pretty much identical. Really, the quality of the uh, education that you get is entirely contingent on the teacher that you get, which varies. And I also gather that a lot of these teachers um, sort of uh, hop from one school to the next, depending on where the availability is and whatever. So, um, uh, so yeah, it's just kind of kind of kind of large incestuous system that kind of runs throughout the city. So, um, so we'll see. I showed up, and uh, it was really kind of a zoo. I really thought that uh, by going early, I was going to sort of miss the rush, or you know that most people would be coming later. But there's a ton of people there. Um, pretty efficient process, however. The thing that I was the most nervous about was. Uh, you have to sit for an oral exam. Uh, exam is not really the right word for it. They basically just have a conversation with you to assess where your language skills are at. And based on that, they sort of put you in the class they think you belong in. Um, and prior to arriving, you actually were have supposed you were supposed to have taken some online tests, which I did. And I admit I did not test very well, which is totally fine for me. It's a little blow to my ego, but that's totally fine. Um, I was very clear and confident and had decided for myself that although I'm arriving to Taipei under the pretense of studying Chinese, my real priority is going to be to enjoy myself 
and even decided if I look up in a couple of weeks and decide that actually this class stuff is actually impinging uh, on my ability to enjoy myself, that I would actually consider like dropping out and like, you know, just enjoying myself. So when I sat down for the test, she's like, although you speak well, I'm not, you know, fluent or anything. I mean, just, you know, well, I, I, I speak much better than my test indicated, I suppose. Um, in Taipei, they use traditional characters. So Chinese characters, I'm sure you've seen them. Um, there are the traditional characters, which have been used for a very long time. However, uh, about 100 years ago, eh, not quite 100 years ago, they decided that to help with literacy in China, they would simplify the characters. They would come up with a simplified form of the characters. And that has become the standardized version used not only in mainland China, but in uh, Japan as well, I believe. And most people who study Chinese in the United States learn simplified characters. However, in some parts of the world, uh, some parts of China, Hong Kong, uh, Taipei, uh, people use traditional characters only, exclusively. So when you go throughout Taipei, on all the signs, it's just traditional characters. People write, so, uh, uh, I hope I said that right. Yeah, they use traditional characters in Taipei. And they're much more complicated. They're a lot more um, involved. And uh, sometimes you can sort of, you know, once you understand context and stuff, it's not impossible. You know, if you know simplified characters, if you're very familiar with simplified characters, you should be able to read uh, traditional characters relatively well. But writing them is going to be exceptionally difficult. And so the teacher was like, although you speak and probably have more input than the level that we're going to put you at, you know, you don't know traditional characters very well. So let's start you at this level, um, which is not great. But it was actually interesting because she asked me, is your grade important? And I was like, no. <laughs> and she said, okay, well, then you can take this class. So I thought it was interesting that she was kind of upfront and transparent about that. Or, you know, she's well aware of the fact that, you know, maybe some people it's very important that they study hard or, or that they get good grades. You know, they're here as exchange student is not the right word, but they're in college or they need the credit or uh, sometimes people's scholarship, actually, they, they get a scholarship to study here is contingent on their grade. Clearly, that's not the case for me. Um, my education is just a smokescreen for, my, for, for, a, for a long vacation, really. So, um, yeah, and that was pretty much the only thing I had, to, the business thing I had to take care of. Um, and uh, once that was over, I could just enjoy myself. So I uh, met up with my friend Gabe. We've gone to lunch a couple times. And uh, I don't know. I'm really kind of wondering if I should just sort of talk through what my experience has been, like chronologically, or just sort of follow my thoughts. Um, yeah, I don't know. I met up with Gabe. And I'm trying to think, what did I do that first day? Registered for classes, met up with Gabe. And then um, I ended up going to the night market that I had gone to, it, that was right outside my host family. Um, went to the night market there, which was nice. Uh, had some food I had been craving for a while. And uh, Wednesday, can you, I don't know if you can hear this, there's like this dog yelping outside my window. Um, Wednesday, though, was kind of exciting. I actually had my, now you have to be able to hear that. This dog is like yelping. Very annoying for me. See, that's the kind of stuff that kind of 
kind of gets to me, you know, but what are you going to do about it? That's part of the dance, right? Uh, Wednesday was actually kind of interesting. Um, I had a date with someone who I had connected with on a, one of the, you know, one of the uh, dating apps before I arrived here. And that's all well and good. But it was actually kind of interesting because she and I were actually messaging pretty frequently, you know, pretty much every day. And um, so I could tell, you know, of course, I, I thought she was very cute in her pictures. But I, what I really appreciate in dating is like enthusiasm. Like when you get a good conversation going and you just kind of sense enthusiasm from the other person. Because sometimes like with dating, people are jaded or especially online dating, they get a little bitter or they, um, you know, their attitude, uh, and not in a good way, is that this is very low stakes for them. Almost like they're kind of like skeptical, but they'll try it out or something. But what I really like is someone who has some enthusiasm. So I could tell, you know, whether or not there was any sort of romantic interest, I knew that this was going to be a decent conversation. It would be a, it would be a good date. And um, we ended up meeting up near their place, which is like the north side of Taipei. You know, hit it off. Conversation was great. And I was sort of surprised because she asked me, like, well, what are your plans for the rest of the day? And I was like, nothing, you know. And she said, well, hey, well, let's go to Maokong Gondola, which is all the way on the other side of town. It's all the way. It's closer to my place, but it's even further south than I live, which is pretty far south of the city. And Maokong Gondola, I've, I've ridden it before, is it sort of begins at the Taipei Zoo. And it's about a 40-minute ride into the hills. And when you exit, there's a bunch of hiking trails or, you know, restaurants and all that sort of stuff. But it's basically a scenic kind of, admittedly kind of touristy thing to do. And there are some stops along the way where you can get off and see a temple or hike a trail or something like that. And it, it was kind of interesting because my first thought when she said that was like, no. <laughs> just because I think, you know, I just had this kind of default thing and it stems from like my, it's a holdover of like my anxiety or whatever it is. It's something that I'll always live with and have to contend with. But it's like, before I set out to do something or when I make plans, it's like I take inventory of, how do I wear this? Like I have a battery, right? As like an introvert and I need time to um, refuel and that refueling happens in isolation. And so there is a way in which like when I set out to do something, I kind of calibrate or kind of prepare myself for that activity, you know? Like if I know that I'm heading out and, not, and I'm not coming home till evening, I kind of like steal myself for that experience. But for this date, I figured, oh, we'd have coffee maybe for an, an hour, two hours, maybe three hours if the conversation was really good. But, you know, by virtue of the fact that they were that we were meeting for coffee, I had sort of assumed that it was going to be a short date. You know what I mean? Like if she wanted to go out to dinner or have an evening together, then that would that would have been the plan. But somehow her suggesting coffee was kind of um, to um, delimit my expectations or something, something like that. So when she proposed that we do this thing, it kind of came as a surprise. Like I was like, holy shit, I wasn't like ready for this, like uh, emotionally, if that's the right way to put it, or energy-wise or something. But... I was kind of smiled and nod or nodded or whatever. And then I just thought, well, yeah, just, just, yeah, surrender to this experience. It'll be whatever it is. And so that's exactly what we did. We went and we took the gondola and uh, 
about halfway there, there's this stop where there's this temple, which I knew about but hadn't been to before, and it was very beautiful. And we came at just the right time where the monks were chanting and the music was there, and it has this great view of Taipei and, um, you know, just a very, very beautiful scene. And um, then we rode the gondola to the very end. Again, it's about a 40-minute ride altogether. And when we got off, she said, oh, let's go to this tea house. And um, I didn't really know what to expect, but it was like this kind of old-style tea house where they kind of put you in this your own kind of private little room where you sit on the floor and you pour your own tea. And we ended up talking for like three hours. And um, it was just very nice. It was nice to, uh, one, I knew the conversation and all that stuff was going to be great. <clears throat> but it was nice that we ended up uh, doing a lot more and having more fun than I expected. And um, so we'll certainly see each other again. She uh, is out of town for the next week. Uh, there's actually an island, just I think it's like the northeast coast of Taiwan called Penghu. And actually, I'm arriving at a time where it's called Lantern Festival, which is the last celebration of Chinese New Year's. There's a, you know, a series of celebrations for Chinese New Year's, and the Lantern Festival is the last of those. And so there's a lot of different things going on around the island um, where people are celebrating. And so uh, she's spending time with her family in Penghu for that. So, yeah, I'm sure when she gets back, uh, we'll find something else to do. By the next day, though, I felt like I was like... Uh, the first sign of sensory overload was setting in because I woke up, I had uh, sort of walking around, I had plans to meet up with my friend Gabe, we had lunch. And after that, I just really wasn't up for anything. I mean, actually, what I, the only thing I did, and this is probably what zapped me, is I needed to get the sheets for my bed. It had been like two, three nights without them. And I said, all right, I just have to bite the bullet. I like walked around my neighborhood for a little bit looking for a place couldn't find anything for the life of me. And I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go to Ikea. <laughs> so that's exactly what I did. And I admit, I felt a little guilty about that because I'm like, oh, here I am in Taipei. You know, I'm supposed to be drinking in the local culture. I should, you know, patronize a, a local shop or something like that, a local merchant to get some local Taiwanese bedding. But it was like this had become such a protracted kind of shitty process that I just wanted to get it over with. Um... Now, Ikea was a hassle in and of itself, but that's that's a story for another time. That's neither here nor there. That's boring. Um, but uh, after I came back from Ikea, I was like, I'm pretty much done for the day. And I told you before uh, I left that one of my plans was actually to take a lot of video and do some vlogging. And I've done that. I have this like GoPro camera and I kind of use it and I just sort of walk around and sort of narrate my thoughts just like I'm doing right now except I do it in video form, and I talk about what I'm looking at, and I talk about what I'm thinking about. So I've just accumulated this massive video, and I've been spending all of my downtime, my free time, just editing it. And that may sound kind of weird for you, like, hey, you're in Taiwan, why are you editing video? Well, I love doing it. It's like one of my favorite things to do. And so my days have been pretty much wall-to-wall, -wall, and I use all my downtime to edit video, and it's actually been a very satisfying way to spend my time. But... I spent that Thursday editing a bunch of video. And so if you want to see those, I started a new YouTube channel. It's called Bland Companion. That's B-L-A-N-D, bland, like no flavor, companion. And I mentioned that, um, and, and there's a couple of videos up there. One is my sort of trip flying in. Um, the other one is uh, I sort of walk through uh, what I think is Taipei's most beautiful park, Da'an Park. And uh, we have this really cool encounter, actually, where I sort of hear this harmonica in the distance. And when I see the guy, 
I tell him, I try to speak as much Mandarin as I can, but I tell him, oh, it sounds good. And he's like, oh, you think it sounds good? Here, come listen. And he sees I have the camera, and so he lets me film him, and he gives me this like private performance. And he's, he's okay. He's not exceptional, but he's very passionate. And uh, it was just a nice moment between us. And I started to walk around the park and all that sort of stuff. So those are the videos that are up now. I have a couple that I've edited as well, um, which um, you know I'll sort of release over the next couple of days or whatever. But if you want to check that out, check it out. Bland Companion on YouTube, and you can subscribe and all that sort of stuff. And uh, that'll help me feel like I'm not just releasing these videos into the void. And if I do, that's totally fine. You know, for me, this is just uh, my own kind of creative thing. But of course, it's always nice to have an audience. So if you want to see what I'm doing here, one, if you want to see me, which maybe a lot of people haven't seen me, but um, uh, want to see what I'm up to, that's a place where you can do that. So, um, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm seeing that some of the video stuff that I'm generating is a lot like this. It's me sort of talking and sharing my thoughts. So if you like the audio form, you know, you might, you might, I can't say that you will, but I say you might like the video. Now, I was going somewhere else with that. What was I talking about? How I've been spending my time shooting the video. Yeah, I'm not sure. Sensory overload Thursday doing that. And so, yeah, so Thursday night, I was kind of checking in with myself. And although I was happy with how I've been spending my time, I did feel a bit like, ah, well, you know, it's okay to have days like today, but you just got to make sure that you know, you're, you're getting out there. And I actually remember this from when I was here last time. I don't remember specifically what those days were, but I do remember a couple of days where I would say, hey, you just, you know, give yourself a break. You've been hitting it pretty hard. It's okay to take a break where you're just kind of doing the day-to-day type of stuff. So, but Friday I said, okay, I got to make up for it. And uh, the girl I went on a date with had texted me and said, you should go to this place. It's called Yinho Cave. Now, ironically, it's actually near the end of Malcolm Gondola, where we had been. And so I felt a little weird going back there so quickly, but what you can do is ride the gondola to the very end, and there's a hiking trail. It's about a 45-minute trail from Malcolm Station, which is the last stop on the gondola, to this cave, is what they call it. Although it's not really a cave, it's more like a temple slash shrine that's kind of built into the side of a, of a cliff face. And there's a waterfall that sort of rolls over. It's very beautiful. But uh, maybe two things to say to sort of preface this, which is the weather. For, first of all, when I was here last summer, the weather was excruciatingly hot. I mean, almost unbearably so. I mean, it was 100 nearly every day. I would literally sweat through multiple sets of clothing each day, at least at least two, take like two to three showers a day. Um. And so I was looking forward to coming back at a time where the weather is cooler. However, because I must have done something wrong in a past life, the first three days I was here, Taipei was having a heat wave. And it was like up to 90 degrees. So it was just sweltering hot. However, last, the last two or three days have been actually very cold. And Thursday night and, and Friday morning, it was raining. And when I woke up, I was like, you know, it was a little dark. I was feeling a little tired. But I hear this like cymbal clanging and these kind of horns going at like 7.30 in the morning. And I'm, it's clearly it's some type of parade or something. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But I sort of, you know, I figured that's the cosmos telling me that it's time to, to get out and like see stuff. So 
I get dressed real quickly, I head out, and as soon as I hit the street, literally as soon as I open the front door of my place, this parade is going by, and they're banging cymbals, and they're playing drums, and they're you know playing these horns, and there's people dancing, and they're uh, wearing these special costumes, and you know, sort of uh, um, uh, dragon, is it, you call it like dragon dancing? You know what I'm talking about, where the, the people sort of queue up, and they, one person has the head, and the other person has the tail. And they're doing the kind of dancing and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So I sort of follow this parade and it kind of goes around, sort of turns this corner. And there's a temple, a little sort of shrine-like temple, which are pretty ubiquitous in Taipei, but tucked around the corner from my place. And I don't think this was a celebration for the Lantern Festival. I think whatever deity that temple was built for, I think it's like, I think it it might be the birthday of that particular deity or something like that. And, uh, and there's people that are setting off fireworks in the street. And uh, it was just uh, very cacophonous, but also very cool. And it just kind of let me know, like, oh, today's going to be an exciting day. And boy, did it fucking turn out to be. So I had this thing, and then I, like, ride the train. I go to the gondola. I ride the gondola. And I had this kind of confusing thing where I thought, because I had video this time, I obviously didn't take any video when I was on my date. Although, I, I'll just note this very quickly. <laughs> When I actually do have pictures from my date, which is kind of, and I mean pictures of us, which is very strange for me personally. But when we sat down for coffee, as soon as we got our stuff, you know, we ordered, and as soon as we got our stuff, she looked, she asked, "Can I take a picture of us?" And I was like, uh, "Sure." And so that just kind of signaled to me, like, "Okay, I guess we're taking pictures." So there, yeah, I have some pictures of her, and she took some pictures of us while we were making tea together, and it was just, I don't know, that just seems a little. Uh, I think in America that feels a little overly familiar for like a first date, but I mean, I'm, I I was totally fine with it, um, especially because it's just nice to have a record or that kind of stuff. Um, but why did I mention that? Oh, I mentioned that because this time I did have my video camera, my my GoPro, and I was like, you know what? It would be nice because the weather is kind of moody and cloudy to stop at the temple again and just see what's going on. So I did that, and some crazy thing happened where when I got back on the gondola, I got to what I thought was the last station where I'm supposed to get off, but the car just kind of turns around and I start heading back the direction I came. The doors don't open, there's no attendant there, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I thought maybe they closed it because the weather was bad or whatever. But when I get to the next station, I try to explain to the guy very quickly. I say, I'm actually trying to go here, what happened? And in my broken Chinese, I can't really explain myself and I'm not understanding what he's saying. But he basically says, oh, you just have to go back the direction that you came. And I said, oh, well, I was just there, but I couldn't get off. And he was like, no, you, you trust me, turn around and you can, you'll be able to get off. And I was like, this guy's fucking nuts, but I can't really communicate what I'm saying. He's not hearing what I'm saying. So I just said, where the fuck else do I have to be? Oh, this guy seems like he knows what he's talking about. I'll just do it. And when I, and I, so I did, I crossed the platform and I literally get back on the way I just came from. And I swear to God, I had this moment that was almost like Willy Wonka's fucking chocolate factory, which is like, you can imagine like they walk up to a door and they open it and it's just a closet, but then they close it and use a different key and they open the same door and it's like a a ballroom or a fucking chocolate waterfall, you know, just something insane and kind of magical. That's the fucking experience I had. Because I swear to God, I go, I, I cross the platform, 
I get back on the gondola. I go exactly the fucking direction. I literally just came from where I couldn't get off. And when I hit the next station, it looked completely different. And it, I turned to this weird corner and I was like, I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I'm so glad that I spoke up and said something. If I had just sort of bitten the bullet and just like gone back home, who knows what would have happened. I would not, not have had the adventure that, 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 was, that, that, that I eventually ended up having. So just a little thing to put in your pipe and smoke it. You know, just voice up, be a little bit of an advocate for yourself. And maybe that's all it'll take to get you back on the direction you're supposed to be going in. So I can't explain it. I don't know what happened, but but there you go. So I ride the gondola to the end of the reel. And it's kind of perfect timing because the weather is starting to clear up. But when I start this hike, I know it's going to be about 45 minutes. And I remember asking my friend Gabe, who had gone to Yinho Cape a couple of times, I said, is it a hard hike? Is it a difficult hike? Because a lot of the hikes in Taipei are actually very challenging. And if you have any type of mobility issue, it's going to be very, very difficult for you. But he said, oh, no, it's easy. Well, what he hadn't counted on, I'm sure, is the weather conditions. Like it had just rained. And although I had some sneakers, I had some good walking shoes. I didn't have any hiking boots. And it was very precarious. It was very, very slippery, very, very dangerous in parts. And uh, again, it, I mean, really, if anyone had any mobility issues whatsoever, they would not have been able to complete uh, this hike for sure. And it would have been, you know, for all, they could have very well gotten stuck there. Um, but uh, I sort of do the hike. I come on to Yinho Cave and it's very cool. It's like this waterfall that comes off this cliff and literally under the waterfall, kind of built into the side of this cliff is the stone temple slash shrine. And so I walk up into the shrine and I see this, you know, I don't know if it's Mazu, who's like the god of the sea or something like that, but I see all these offerings in front of Mazu. I'm, I'm assuming it's Mazu. And, um, and I had not had any breakfast, but I had this like little sandwich that I bought and this bottle of water and a banana that I had bought at the convenience store. And although I was kind of set to this is where I was going to rest and eat. I said, you know what we should do is we should make an offering because I see some plantains or something on the shrine and I say, I'm going to leave a banana. Um, so I take the banana. I kind of, I forget what I say. I have it on video. I'll have to, I haven't watched it yet, but I think I say something like, oh, I'm glad I made it here safe and I hope other people sort of get where they need to go safely or something like that. So I, I leave the offering. Foreshadowing. <laughs> so I leave the offering. I kind of have my sandwich and I sort of rest or whatever. And I go, oh, this is great. And I know that actually, you know, at the end of this trail, although I've already seen Yinhun Cave, the place I want to go, I know that there's a little bit of, there's a temple that's just maybe another five, 10 minute walk from here. And once I get to that temple, I'm actually going to consider, I'm going to consider how I'm going to get home because although I was able to make the hike, it would have been, I would have been absolutely depleted if I had to hike back. The last 15 minutes of it for me was like straight downhill on these very slippery, wet, rocky steps. If I had to go the opposite direction, it just would have been excruciatingly difficult. So I was going to try to find an alternative. I go to the temple. It's multi-stories high. It's not great. It's clearly under a lot of repair. There's scaffolding everywhere. And I actually later realized it's actually two different temples together. One is like a Taoist uh, one half of it is like Taoist, the other one I think is Mazu as well. 
Um, and there's some people kind of sitting around, but no one's like paying any attention. There's nobody else visiting it. So I'm literally there for like 10 minutes and I'm like, okay, this is fine. I'm done. And so I look on my phone and I figure, all right, what's another way to get back other than hiking that trail again? And I say, well, I could literally just walk along the road for 30 minutes and hit this random town, which I don't even know what it is, but it looks like I can catch the bus from there back to Taipei Zoo or the beginning of Maokong and I can just take the MRT back to my home. So I start walking on this road and I realize very quickly that although it's not wet, slippery rocks, it is a straight incline. It's literally a road that curves like most of the mountainous roads in Taipei do. And it just goes straight up into the hill. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be slipping and sliding, but this is going to be a huge physical exertion to sort of at least get to the top of this hill. And so I'm walking for like 10, 15 minutes and I don't have my camera on. And I just was like, and so I just reach into my bag, I pull out my camera and I'm like sort of doing my shitty vlogger thing where I'm like, well, I'm walking and it's fucking sucks and yada, yada, yada. And all of a sudden I hear two dogs go, start to go fucking nuts. And I'm thinking, oh, well, that's okay. You know, they hear some random person walking. That's what they're here for, right? But then I look up the road and out of this driveway, or driveway is not the right, you're going to picture the wrong thing, but I mean, just this kind of road that leads up to some house that's, you know, who knows how deep into the woods, these two black dogs just run out into the street and they see me and they start jogging at me and they look fucking ferocious. Their teeth are bared, they're barking. And so I stop in my tracks and this is bringing, it's bringing up a, that the moment I was really like, is this fucking really happening? Because I had had an experience, like maybe, I don't know if this was four years ago or five years ago, I don't know. But when I was working at the crisis lines, I would often work until midnight. And I got off of work one night at midnight. I'm walking home. It's probably about a 15, 20 minute walk home. And I'm walking down this sort of street that I always walk down. And as I'm walking, two pit bulls turn the corner who, and they had, the minute I see them, they, I, I knew they had gotten out. These are not socialized dogs. There's no one with them. I thought, oh, these are some pit bulls that had, are loose, had just have snuck out of their home or something like that. And they just had this anxious, frantic look like they didn't even know what the fuck was going on. Like they were overwhelmed. And the minute the one sees me, it sprints at me. And I don't know how to describe it, but I've never seen a dog bark or act the way that it did. It was unequivocally clear that this dog saw me and said, I'm going to fucking eat him. <laughs> and they both start sprinting at me. And I just have this moment. I'm, I'm, I think my brother is like this. I'm sure a lot of people are like this. In those moments, I'm not like really a freak out type of person. Like when you're on a plane and there's turbulence, like some people start, you know, they scream or they, they're just very reactive. I go quiet. And I actually kind of, in those moments, I feel calm. Once the sort of threat um, is over, then I realize that my adrenaline was pumping. But in those moments, I feel very clear. Like I remember one time my, my last girlfriend and I, we were walking on the street and there was basically like, I was about to say 15. It's probably not 15. There's maybe like eight or nine kids. They're probably like 18 or 19. And they're clearly like a gang, for lack of a better word. And we're, on, we're in downtown Oakland. And they're just basically terrorizing people. 
Like we're walking down the street and I see them like corner another couple who's walking maybe 30 feet in front of us. And they just lean into their faces and just scream at them. And they're just trying to provoke a reaction from stand. Like they're, they're basically just terrorizing people and they're waiting for someone to react so that they have whatever excuse they feel like they need to basically attack that person is, is what I'm sort of feeling. And they, so the other couple passes by and then me and my girlfriend are walking up and they kind of circle. And I kind of, once they kind of get close to me, I kind of push my girlfriend ahead of me so that they're not surrounding her. And they kind of form this kind of half moon around me. And then they start like opening my jacket. Like they're basically like looking like, hey, what are we going to take from you? And I basically just like brush this dude's hand away. And I'm like, no. And I start walking away. And they're fucking ringleader or whatever. I'm basically like walking away with my head over my shoulder, like looking at them. And he starts swinging at me like super fast, super aggressively. But he's purposefully, his punches are falling short. And he's waiting for me to kind of react or get angry or punch so that I, I imagine so he and all his friends can jump me. But I'm just sort of keeping my pace and I'm just looking at him and I'm not responding, you know? And I'm not saying that I look like a badass. I'm just saying that's one of those experiences where I go, oh, that was potentially very dangerous. A lot of people could have gotten defensive or reactive, but I just went like mute. And I just knew that as long as I didn't respond, as long as I just didn't, you know, I didn't re I didn't react that they weren't going to do anything. I never really felt like I was in danger. Um, so anyway, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, except I go calm in those moments. The same thing happened when that dog ran after me. I just sort of kicked it, like got out of the situation and I was thankfully unharmed. Well, as I'm walking up the street the other day, the same thing happens. These dogs run out and I'm thinking, is this really fucking happening? Because I'm on this huge incline the nearest people is like a 15, 10, 15 minute walk away. If these dogs come at me, there's no one. There's, n there's nothing here. I have nothing to fight them with. I have no protection. And it was just one of those moments where it was like a bit surreal for a second. So I started backing up and they're, they're still coming at me. And thankfully, I don't know what the threshold was for them. But once I got a certain amount of distance away, they just sort of stop and they're just looking at me. Like, that's right, motherfucker, keep going. And I was like, yep, I'm going back. And so uh, I just keep walking backwards for a couple minutes while they're just staring at me from a distance. And then I just see their bodies kind of relax. Like, they're like, all right, man, we got them, let's go. And so they kind of turn around and I just start walking back to the temple. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not walking that way. And in my mind, I'm like, well, one, I'm glad I'm unscathed. But I'm also like, oh, shit, I guess I'm going to have to take that super shitty long hike back to the gondola. But I have this thought, and actually this kind of goes back to what I was saying about just being a little bit of an advocate for yourself. I said, you know what, I'm going to tell the people at the temple, just so they can tell me. Like they go, oh yeah, those dogs are fucking shitty. Yeah, never walk that way. Or I can get some type of validation or, or maybe just let someone know. Like maybe they go, ah, that's fucking, um, oh, th those are Robert's dogs. Yeah, fuck him. I'll, I'll go have a talk with him or something like that. Um, uh but uh, I get back to the temple and I see this kind of adult male, a little maybe in his mid-40s, and there's also a very old man sitting with him. And they're doing some kind of business shit. And I just sort of say in my broken Mandarin, I'm like, oh, excuse me, um, I was just walking up the road and two dogs, like, I, I, I couldn't get past because two dogs were, were barking at me and threatening me. And they kind of um, consult with each other for a second. And then he says, 
um, in, you know, in Mandarin, I'm sort of piecing together that he's saying, oh, they're, they're not really going to bite you. And I was like, oh, they're, they're definitely going to bite me. Um, you know, I'm not scared of dogs. I love dogs. In fact, there was a dog running around the temple who I wasn't sure about approaching earlier, who I had sort of pet and even actually growled at me a little bit. And I was totally fine. These dogs were like, we're going to fucking eat you if you come up here is what I'm thinking. And I, but I was just, I'm very confident that these dogs are, are not safe. I can't walk that way. So I was basically saying, how else can I get home? And they're trying to figure out what I, where am I going and all that sort of stuff. And the dude, very kindly, he just says, hey, wait five minutes and then I'll actually give you a ride to the MRT, to the, to the train station. And I was like, really? And I was just blown away. It was like the nicest thing that he could have offered to do. So we end up like, uh, it takes us about 10 to 15 minutes because this super old man is coming with us. Uh, he, he's like, he's like getting a ride home or something like that. But we like go down these long steps of the temple and I basically get a ride from these strangers to the train station. And it turns out, you know, my major at Fudan University, if I get accepted, is going to be Chinese philosophy and culture. And, you know, we're coming from a essentially a Taoist temple, more or less. And as I'm sort of talking with the younger guy, he's like, oh, what's your Chinese name? My Chinese name is Kong Ida, which uh, Kong is uh, short for Kongzi or Confucius. So that's a Chinese philosophy reference. The first name Ida means to abide in virtue. And the is like, um, you know, it's a standard uh, Chinese philosophical term for virtue. So there's a very famous book that most people know, the Tao Te Ching, or they might say the, ta- the Tao, Te- Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu or Lao Tzu, as we would say. And so uh, he says, oh, your, your name has a, it's, it's very Chinese. And I was like, oh yeah, I love Chinese philosophy. And that's why I wanted uh, my teacher to give me a name that was meaningful. You know, most Chinese learners, when, when they receive a Chinese name, they basically just get a Chinese name that sounds like their English name. And uh, I, did, I definitely didn't want that. Um, so anyway, they're just very impressed that like I'm studying Chinese philosophy and this old man apparently is like an expert in Tao Te Ching. And um, he was more difficult to talk to just because he was very hard of hearing and I couldn't really understand what he was saying. But um, it was just a really cool experience to get a ride from them. Here I was facing the hounds of hell, but it pushed me in this direction where I had to interact with some strangers. And uh, yeah, man, it was just very, very cool. And um, and yeah, and actually when I, I took the train back to my place and when I got the, the, the sort of parade carnival stuff was still going on. And But here was my thought. When I got out of the car, when they dropped me off, he said something to me. And I don't know what he said, but he said Mazu. I know he said Mazu a couple of times. And I think what he was saying, I'll have to maybe show someone the video who speaks better Mandarin than me. But I think he was saying something like, make sure you make an offering to Mazu. And here's what I, I literally when I got, I was sort of, as soon as I closed the door, I said, you know what? The reason I was fucking helped is because of the offering I made at Yinho Cave. That fucking banana that I bought at a 7-Eleven and left for Mazu, that motherfucker was like, hey man, I'm gonna make sure you get home safely. Safe passage. That's what that banana bought me. And I just, uh, yeah, it was just a very magical experience. So, um, but yeah, I was so relieved because I was like, one, I mean, obviously I'm glad it was a very great trip. And I'm, but it was also, I knew it was a great story. Even as it was happening, I knew it was going to be a great story. 
But I was also so happy that, you know, by the time I got back, and uh, I think that night too, I went and I had my favorite food in Taiwan is neoromian, which is Taiwanese beef noodles. It's my absolute favorite. And because the weather was cold, because I had had this huge hike, probably burned like a thousand calories or something like that. I was like, I'm going to go have neoromian. And so I did, and it's the most delicious meal I've had in Taiwan so far. But it was like I really earned it. But as I was sitting there eating my noodles, I said it was, you know, I was sort of beating myself up for taking it easy the day before. But I'm so happy that I had the colorful experience I had the next day because it more than made up for it. And then I also knew that the next day after that, so Saturday, which was my yesterday, for Lantern Festival, my friend Gabe and I were going to Shurfun. And Shurfun, which we, which we ended up going to, is a very kind of cool town that's kind of uh, east of Taipei about an hour. And you take the train there. You take the train or the bus to Roifeng, which is a small city. And then you take the Shurfun train, which is uh, very cool because it, uh, Shurfun is this sort of small town. And it has this old road. Like all the places in, in Taiwan have old roads. These old areas of town, which admittedly some of them are just sort of turned into tourist attractions. But they're kind of holdovers from, you know, the 20th century or something where they're just kind of more old style. And there's restaurants and all that sort of stuff. But the train tracks in Shurfun bisect. The old, the old road is bisected by these train tracks. So when you enter Shurfun, you're on the train. And almost like you see these videos in India where there's like a market. And every time the train comes in, everybody has, literally has to move all their shit in. And once the train passes, people just like, you know, walk on the tracks again. That's exactly what happens in Shurfun. And Shurfun is also known as like the Sky Lantern capital of Taiwan. So constantly, all day, every day, people are on the train tracks lighting these sky lanterns, you know, these sort of hot air balloons where they write wishes on them, they light them, and they let these sky lanterns into the sky and they sort of fly away. And of course, they deflate and like land in the forest and a bird probably chokes on them. But that's what Shurfun is known for. But uh, since this was the Lantern Festival, we knew that Shurfun was going to be off the chain. So for uh, so yesterday, we take the train into Shurfun. It's an absolute zoo. We walk around. There's this very famous waterfall in Shurfun, which we go to. There's a coal mining museum, which we went to, which I was not as thrilled by. Gabe absolutely loved it. But then we're like, okay, it's time for the Sky Lantern, sort of the, the send-off. And so you have to kind of take this long road, and they have this huge staging area, and they have this huge stage built, and had this area where everybody who's signed up to release a lantern has to like queue up and they do it in stages of like, they do a few hundred people at a time and there's like eight different times. So there's just like thousands of balloons that are gonna be let, uh, let up into the air. And we go for the first release, which is at like 6.15, the sun sets at like six. So the balloons go off at like 6.15, or I'm sorry, not balloons, the sky lanterns. And when we show up, it's an absolute crush of people. And I was like, God, there's gotta be like, you know, 25,000 people here. But as the time keeps going, it's just more and more and more people. And this entire road that we walked by to get there, it just clearly just looking back as far as the eye can see is just crammed with people. And, you know, so we do the Sky Lantern thing, they get sent off, you get your video. And I just look at Gabe and I'm like, we need to get the fuck out of here. And so we basically takes us about 45 minutes just to push through the crowd of people to get back to where we started from. But even then, 
uh, there's like these shuttles that you go to. I can't really describe it to you. I'll edit the video together and you can find it on that new YouTube channel, Bland Companion. There must have been at least a few hundred thousand people there. It went from like showing up and being like, oh, wow, there's like thousands of people here. This is crazy to literally hundreds of thousands. It's easily other than like in San Francisco. I mean, I've been to music festivals like Outside Lands. That's obviously a lot of people. Um, there's also a free music festival that happens in, Go in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco every year called Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival. And there's like 500,000 people that attend that. But it's also throughout the entirety of Golden Gate Park. I have never been in a sea of so many people as I, as I was there. I've never, the, the crushing amount of humanity that was there was absolutely overwhelming. I've never been a part of anything like it before. So as cool as the lanterns were, the real story of going to the Sky Lantern Festival and Shirt of Fun is just the sea of humanity that is there. And um, so needless to say, after the near-death experience I had with the Hounds of Hell on Friday, taking the train out first thing in the morning to Shirt of Fun, spending the entire day there, taking the bus back, we probably got back at like 9 p.m., I was absolutely exhausted, so really didn't do shit today. I woke up, edited some video, went and got breakfast at this place right across the street from me, came back here, and now I'm recording this. And uh, I don't know, I told myself I might go to the night market this evening and, uh, you know, uh, you know, try to do something with my time <laughs> um, other than just stay home. But uh, again, given everything I've gone through, I think it makes sense to to rest up and, uh, you know, because who knows what uh, tomorrow will bring. Except actually, I do have a guy coming to work on my AC. <laughs> Not that I've needed the last couple of days, but the AC, although it's working, the unit outside rattles and wakes me up, so someone's coming by to fix that. But short of that, who knows? I have another date with somebody else next Wednesday, and uh, I'm sure the last person I uh, went out with last Wednesday that I told you about, uh, when she gets back, we'll do something. And uh, really the only other thing on the horizon is a week from tomorrow, school starts. And uh, that'll be a whole new world in and of itself. So, well, that's kind of all that's going on here. And uh, I don't think we've quite hit the benchmark. But uh, hey, this is my vacation. I'm going to spend it how I want. And uh, glad I was able to record this, uh, this entry. But uh, I think I have other things I'd like to attend to. So any closing thoughts that we can sort of wrap up with? I'm just really glad I'm here. You know, I went from doing pretty much nothing the last couple of weeks before I left. Once the visa stuff was wrapped up, once the grad school applications were finished, I was really just kind of twiddling my thumbs, watching movies and uh, not doing a whole lot. Uh, it's just It's just wild to me that you know, you get stuck in your life and in your routine and you, your world feels very small by comparison. But that's just, you're just habituated to that mentality. At the end of the day, I mean, assuming, assuming you have enough money in your checking account, you can literally change your life, your world, by just getting on, going to the airport, getting on a plane and going somewhere. And the world is complete. You're literally half a world away and your life is completely different in a matter of hours. I mean, if you think about, like, of course, like, uh, 
you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, to get from Taiwan for, for the average person, obviously there was there were planes, but for the average person, that's like a, you had to get on a fucking boat. And I don't, I'm going to sound stupid because I don't know how long it's going to take for you to get to Taiwan to, be, to San Francisco. Probably a couple weeks by boat, am I right? You can literally get on a plane and 11 and a half to 12 hours later, you're on the other side of the world. Life is completely different. You're in a city that feels like another planet where you're the minority and nobody speaks your language and you're in an apartment. You know, you're, you're literally living an entirely different life. You're meeting new people and it's just, uh, life is good. I'm just so glad that I did this. And, um, you know, and, and it's crazy. It's just the beginning. So a lot's going to happen over the next few months. Some of it's going to be great. I'm sure there's going to be some challenging moments. And, uh, you know, it can't all be rainbow and sunshines. But that's part of the dance, right? That's part of the dance that I'm talking about. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be great moments. But it's all part of the dance. So, yeah. That sounds like a fine place to end there. Um, yeah, I'll keep doing it this way. I, again, I'm just sort of pacing around. I have this lavalier microphone. Um, yeah, I, I hope it sounds okay. I hope it sounds consistent, but this is basically what we have to work with for the next few months. Um, thanks for uh, tuning into my rambling and, uh, hopefully you enjoy this quality of conversation about my travels. Uh, again, if you want to watch the videos that I'm making, look for my new YouTube channel, Bland Companion. That's B-L-A-N-D Companion or on different social media stuff, at Bland Companion, although I don't really use that shit. That's just there to, to make sure nobody else grabs it. So, but uh, yeah, find the YouTube channel, Bland Companion, and you can subscribe and, and watch the videos that I make. Otherwise, we're going to keep doing this every week as well. So yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao for now.